everyone. It's the December 10th letter that I'm sending. I'm really happy to be here with you, kind of-ish. <laughs> I'm imagining you in my head as I'm, I'm reading this. Uh, I want to share a few paragraphs and things from a book called Visions of Glory. There are some interesting history and tidbits about this book that I will share. I won't share everything, but I will say that this book does elicit a really wide swath of strong emotions from people. Some people love it and take it almost as gospel. Some people hate it or think it's awful. I, for me, the jury is still out, except that I do feel uplifted when I read it. And I think one of the reasons that people have a really strong reaction to it is it is apocalyptic. So the last half of the book talks about uh, this man's um, premonitions that he's had of himself, like when things are going wild in the world because Christ is his return is imminent. And um, he talks about um, world war and uh, plagues and devastation. And people just do not like that section of the book, understandably. But it is everything that is in the scriptures. And I'm not saying this is scripture, but I do think it's one man's experience. And it could be symbolic in a lot of ways. So that's neither here nor there, because what I'm going to share with you is not that section of the book. I honestly do feel really motivated to be a better person when I read the book. So that's why I like it. And it's not the only apocalyptic book I've read. It's one of many. Interestingly enough, a lot of near-death experiences include the sort of premonitions or warnings about the near future. And also, interestingly enough, side note, a lot of Native American prophecies also include um, warnings of a somewhat apocalyptic nature, as do the scriptures. So I think we're told, even if we don't live through this stuff, that we should always be preparing um, by living a life that is heading toward the light. So I want to share some sections. I will try to paraphrase more than quote because I would encourage you to go out and buy the book um, and to read it. It is so good. <laughs> but this is a part in the very beginning. So it's like if I'm looking at my Kindle, it's like 12% in. And he has had an experience in the hospital where he goes code blue. And so he temporarily passes out of his body and he sees his wife. She's waiting in a crowded room and he's trying to talk to her, but he's not able to. And so then he notices a lot of spirit people in the room and they're right there along with the mortals that are there. He says that the mortals look really different from the spirit people. The mortals look solid. And that's what George Churchy saw too. The mortals look really solid and they have no idea of any of the spiritual stuff that's going on in the room at the same time as they're just going about regular daily life. And he says that the spirit people are semi-transparent. You can kind of see through them and they do seem to be aware of him. 
and the other spirits. Some are not happy that he is seeing them and some don't care and some just continue trying to interact. So some of the spirits here are also trying to interact with mortals. They're observing them or trying to get their attention or try to influence them. Some people don't realize that they've died or they don't want to accept it. They um, are trying their best to act like they are still alive. He says this is understandable because being dead and being a disembodied spirit is a real ex existence. You think like you did. You still love and hate like before your death. You can still see everything and you can touch spiritual things. So um, it is a concrete form of existence. So he talks more about the disembodied spirits. It says these spirits were gathering around mortals, talking to them as if they thought the mortals were listening to them. But the mortals were completely unaware of them, just as my wife was unaware of me. These disembodied spirits were trying to get the mortals' attention by various actions, including shouting at them. These spirits were dressed like normal mortals. They had little glory around them. I began thinking of them as recently disembodied spirits. Those spirits who had recently died maintained the look, manner of dress, and shape they had while they were mortal because they seemed to not believe they were dead. One male spirit was speaking to, his young, to a young woman who appeared to be his daughter. He was upset about his business and how she was handling it. He was shouting at her, you need to listen to me. But she had no idea that he was even there. So then he goes on to explain how he keeps talking to her and he gets more and more infuriating. He's demanding that the daughter take care of certain things with his business and his property, but he's like super bothered because she's not listening. <laughs> it's so sad. And he goes on, he starts talking about angels. It says that there are other spirits that they, they understand that they've passed on and they're, they've entered into like, um, an agreement with God to do his work. And so these angels are sent back and they're trying to assist people that are going through a difficult time and they have like a glow about them. It, it shows that the, it shows that they were good and that they're on an errand and they're also dressed differently. Some have on like old fashioned clothing and they're assisting mortals with whatever's happening, um, why they're in the hospital. And then some are sent there to assist them to pass on to death. They're speaking comforting words. They're giving instructions and teaching. And so even though the mortals don't seem to be aware that there are like these helping angels around them, they're listening with their hearts and they can, they can be comforted by this. And they have a glow as well when they listen to the angels and some of the angels, this is so cool. It says, some angels were dressed in white robes and were glorious to look upon. They were following the disembodied and confused spirits, speaking to them when they could get their attention and enfolding them in their glory. They had joy in their labors and purpose in their actions. They were there by commission of Jesus Christ. I understood that all of these angels were family of those to whom they had been sent. And so I think that this part is so beautiful because these are, to me, these are people who have uh, made all their covenants with Heavenly Father and then they're endowed with all this power so they can reach out and touch those who are disembodied and confused about their 
state and to help them to get to their angelic state and to minister to other people in their family. So it's such a cool cycle that um, happens in the in on Earth, where people who have pro- progressed in the spirit world are coming back for people who are stuck on Earth. And if they'll listen, then they can move on. Okay, and then this next part is kind of frightening, but I will still share it. It says that there are evil spirits in the room as well. They are ones who never had a body. They have no light about them, and they just seem to emanate darkness. The evil spirits aren't readable, and they're able to change their shape or morph into other shapes as they desire. And because they were never mortal, they have no definite spiritual shape. This is really creepy, but it says, I saw some of these evil spirits appear as a child, others as a man in a business suit or a beautiful young woman. It became evident to me that the unborn spirits could choose their shape, just as Satan did in the Garden of Eden by appearing in the shape of a snake. This was the first time I realized their spirits, who would never receive a physical body, had the ability to appear any way they chose. They could take on the appearance of a living individual if it helped them to deceive or fulfill their assignments. They could appear in the image of a grandfather, a dead prophet, or someone's wife if it helped them in their deception. They are out to do great harm as much as they can, and they did not like that I could see them. They were trying to create fear, confusion, and distress. Anything that kept them mortal, they were assigned to from hearing the messages from the angels of light who were also there. Not only did they speak to the mortals to afflict them, but they laughed and mocked them and delighted in their pain and fear. If they could have convinced another mortal to stand up and torture or torment their assigned target, they would have done so in an instant. They were evil beyond any definition of evil I had before understood. And so this is another paragraph. It says, The good angels, the ones that glowed with light, acknowledged me with a nod or smile and sometimes allowed me brief glimpses into what they were doing there in that waiting room. But then they quickly returned to their assignment. I knew the evil spirits could see me because they avoided me. But the disembodied spirits, the dead who refused to acknowledge their own death, did not even seem to see me nor did they attempt to communicate. I believe they could see me because several of them stepped around me, but they did not talk to me, similar to how people act in this world around one another. So the reason I wanted to share this section early in this book is that I find that it's, you know, like in our modern language is really fraught. And so when we talk about like good and evil and sin, that kind of, it almost has, it makes you feel kind of weird. Those don't feel like modern terms, but I love how he talks about light and darkness. And I still think that that makes the gospel really clear. They coexist on earth, but Christ is full of light and Satan is full of darkness. And that there are people on both the errand of Christ and our heavenly parents. And there are spirits that are on the errand of evil and I do believe this is true and it's something that we um, should think about. It can freak people out but it I think it's of having a correct knowledge of what is around us spiritually is really important so that we're striving for light things instead of dark things. So one thing I love about the gospel is that no matter where you are in your progression of dark and light, there's always somebody there, either Christ himself or an angel, 
to help you to get out of that dark spot and to move you forward. And even if you're in a light spot, you can still move forward. And I just think that's so beautiful. I do think that there is a purpose for darkness and that's why we're here. It's to learn about it and it's to help us to learn to not choose the darkness. But I also know that we will um, never make perfect decisions. Uh, and every time we choose darkness and we turn away from it, then we grow in wisdom and we grow in light and um, we grow in compassion and our hearts get bigger. And so I think that's also a really beautiful part of the gospel. Earth is like, is so complicated. <laughs> it's so hard and complicated and it's hard to live with people around us that have darkness in them. And it's hard to see the darkness in ourselves, but it does, it is the only way to grow in wisdom and to grow, to become more holy and heavenly. And I, I hope you guys are having an awesome day and I will talk to you soon. Bye.